Radio MD. RadioMD.com. Hear it from the doctor with expert guests from the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's Healthy Children. Now, our favorite mom, Melanie Cole, MS. Welcome to Healthy Children. From the American Academy of Pediatrics and Radio MD, I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're talking about sexual health and contraception. If you're a parent of preteens, tweens, or teenagers, you want to listen to this show because we are going to talk about how to open those lines of communication with our teenagers so that we know what's going on and they, more importantly, feel comfortable discussing these things with us. And joining me today is Dr. Laura Grubb. She's an adolescent medicine specialist and a general pediatrician. Dr. Grubb, I'm so glad to have you with us today. Do you feel, in your opinion, as we get started in this discussion, that our kids are more worldly and informed when it comes to sexual health and safe practices, or are they still pretty confused about these things? That's a complicated question. I think um, I think there's a lot of information out there, and so I think the important thing is to actually sit down and discuss the information with your patients if you're a provider or with your child if you're a parent and make sure that what you're giving them is the right information with the right messaging and that the doors are open for a healthy conversation. The data actually shows that adolescents are making healthier choices than they did 10 and 15 years ago, that they're less sexually active in high school and that there are less teen pregnancies and less teen births. So in general, the information is getting out there in a healthy way, but we can all continue to open those lines of communication. So when do kids start becoming curious about their bodies? When do they start to wonder what's going on and ask questions and tell parents about that? And as the kids ask these questions, give some advice about how to answer those. Do we use nicknames for private parts? Do we tell kids straight out how it is? What if they ask where babies come from? Tell us about how all this sort of begins and develops. Sure. I mean, most of discussions of bodies and sexuality or sexual parts actually begins at a very young age. And children know at a young age that they have different body parts. And especially when it comes to times like toilet training, where that they'll recognize that, you know, my brother's part doesn't look the same as my part. So I think those are very teachable moments that you can actually discuss, you know, whether you're um, bathing your child or changing your child or toilet training them, this is your body part, this is a private part, and this is the proper name for it. And using the proper name actually destigmatizes things and makes it so that they understand um, what their body parts are, what the appropriate use is for them. Um, you know, it prevents a lot of shame. It also prevent, prevents misunderstanding which I think is really important because if there's ever something that happens to a child that's inappropriate in terms of touching, it's important that they can actually explicitly say which body part with the proper name that is in question so that um, it can be very clear exactly what happened to them. Well, that's really good advice. So when do we start talking about sex? When do we start having that conversation I mean, kids are getting Gardasil now, 
at nine and 10 years old. And some parents are worried about that. And they're concerned that that sort of opens the door, which we know that it does not. But when do we start having, is that when we have that conversation? Is that when we start talking about sexual health and safe practices? And tell us a little bit about all of that. Sure. So we should always be talking about it, not just during puberty, but during times when, you know, if you're watching something, even as a child on TV and there's a sexual nature to it, that's a learning opportunity. That's a teachable moment for a parent to explain, you know, this person kissed or touched that person, you know, this is, you know, why this is appropriate or inappropriate. It's the same thing with body parts. You know, kids are actually at a very young age going to explore their body parts. And so it's important to say to them, this is a private behavior that you do alone. This is a behavior, you know, that's not public. And if a child asks a question, which they're going to start asking as young as six, seven, eight years old, where, you know, where do babies come from? Or what happens when, you know, I hear this word or I see this phrase? That's actually a moment to sit down and very clearly explain with the proper terminology what exactly is happening. It's more important to give them correct and accurate information with the message that you think is important than to dance around the issue because they will find out. Um, They will go looking. They will talk to their friends. They will look at television. They'll look at the internet. And I have a perfect example. I had a patient a couple years ago who's 11 years old who hadn't started puberty, but I had said to his mom, I think now is a good time to start talking about the changes that are going to happen with his body and to just discuss puberty with him. And this was in front of him. And his mother said, oh, oh, he doesn't need to know that right now. He doesn't, he doesn't even know what puberty is. And he put his head up and he said, I know what puberty is. And his mother said, how do you know that? And he said, because I Googled it. So in fact, children and adolescents are often ahead of us. So you know, we can either fill the void with accurate, comprehensive, and careful messaging, or we can let them seek it out through social media or whatever means they're going to figure it out, because they will. That's absolutely true. And I know with my own kids, which are 18 and 20 now, but they, you know, their friends would tell them things and they could look stuff up on the internet. So yeah, we have to start those communication lines pretty early and often, as you say, we just always need to be talking about that. So now let's talk about safe sex and sexual health, especially for, you know, our teenagers that may think that they are immune from those things. Tell us how to speak about birth control and and what we want to know about the birth control options out there for both boys and girls and the importance of discussing these things with their parents and or their pediatrician because that's another resource. And I, and I remember, Dr. Grubb, when my pediatrician started giving them that form to fill out on their own that I was not a part of. And that was about sex and drug use and those kinds of things. And I think that opened my eyes as a parent to the fact that now these kids are going to be talking about this, this stuff. So speak about some birth control options out there and how we can bring this up for our kids. Sure. I think the bigger picture is to talk about healthy sexuality and healthy choices. Um, and, you know, so healthy sexuality involves things like consent, you know, what kind of relationship you're in, Um, And then, you know, once you are 
in a situation where you think that you're going to become sexually active, then discussing how do we keep you safe and healthy. And so we talk about pregnancy prevention, and we also talk about prevention of sexually transmitted infections. And the vast majority of adolescents that I see have actually discussed contraception with their parents because they do value their parents' advice and support. So often we have that conversation with the parents in the room. Sometimes we don't. Um, and when we do talk about it, you know, we talk about the bigger picture of what is your goal? You know, what, what are you trying to do in life? Where do you see yourself in two years or five years? Okay, um, how do you think a pregnancy would impact that? So we talk about that, and then they say, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in being pregnant. And I say, okay, let's talk about the best options for you. And I, I look at a couple options, a couple of ways to think about the options, which is, first of all, what is their goal? How long do they want to delay getting pregnant? Second of all, you know, do they have any underlying medical conditions that would prevent the use of certain forms of contraception? And then thirdly, lifestyle. You know, what do they think they can do? Can they take a medication every day? Um, you know, is that not going to be reasonable for them? Do they mind if there's a change in their menstrual pattern? So those are the sort of questions we try to answer as we navigate our way through. And I give them external resources. I use the bedsider.org website a lot. And then I also have handouts I give them. And then once we've determined what their actual goals are, then we can narrow down the, the choices for them. You know, we have really two large categories. We have long-acting contraception, which is something that's designed to stay in place for several years, and it's reversible, meaning once it's no longer in place, then it doesn't impact your ability to get pregnant and you can return to fertility. And so among those options, we have the implant, which goes in the arm, and then we also have two different types of intrauterine devices. One is a hormonal device and one is a copper device. So those are our long-acting options. And then if they don't want to commit or the long-acting option is not the right choice for them, then we'll talk about the shorter acting. We do have what I call an intermediate action contraception, which is the progesterone injection, which is commonly known as Depo-Provera. And that actually is an injection that they can get every 12 weeks. And so that's a good in-between option for somebody who's not comfortable with the longer commitment or having a device inside of them. And then finally, when we talk about the short acting, we talk about things like the combined hormonal birth control, the patch, or the ring, or certainly always we talk about barrier protection, including internal and external condoms. Wow, thank you so much for that comprehensive list. And I'm glad you mentioned consent, because that's so important to discuss with both your boys and your girls, and really what that means. And do you feel that kids are getting this in school? Or is this something that's kind of strictly up to the parents? And if it is, then really, as, as parents, what do you want us to say to start that conversation? Because sometimes that's the hardest part, Dr. Grubb. Yeah, so I think the messaging they're, they're getting in terms of school is really dependent on where they live. Different states have very different policies about what they're going to teach or what they're not going to teach in school. I think the colleges are actually probably the most on top of the consent messaging because it's become such a large issue on college campuses. I think if you want to have a good conversation either in the pediatrician's office or with the parents, just starting by talking about like, what do you want out of a relationship? You know, what are, 
what are the things that you think are important to have in place before you decide to have sex with someone? And also, I always, I think it's a good rule that for partners, the first time sex should come up as an issue is with the lights on and the clothes on. You know, you should be able to sit down with somebody with the lights on and the clothes on and talk about what sex is to you and what does that mean and what is that going to mean for your relationship. So all of that, I think, is the beginning of the conversation. And then as you move into, you know, real time where you're deciding if there's consent, I one thing I always counsel all of my adolescents and young adults is, you know, as soon as anyone is using drugs or alcohol, then the notion of consent is incredibly difficult to navigate. It's very hard to know if you're obtaining consent. It's also hard to know if your partner has withdrawn consent. Um, it's hard to give consent if you're impaired. Um, you know, it's also hard to know certain things like, was a condom or barrier protection used or did the partner actually take a condom off, which is non-consensual if you're impaired. So I think you have to bring up all of those issues with, um, both the patients and their parents. And I think it can be done in the broader conversation of, you know, what is healthy and what is safe. Well, that's really what it's all about too, Dr. Grubb. It's it's about sex and drugs and safety and trying to get our kids to understand, as you say, about impaired consent and all of these things combining together. And for a parent, it can be, you know, pretty nerve wracking discussing all of these things. Give us some resources, some places. You mentioned one earlier, but give us a few that you like where parents can go where they, besides the AAP, of course, and we always want you to go to healthychildren.org parents because that's a great place to get information, but some resources specifically that you feel cover sexual health very well and give parents some of those talking points that we're so desperate for when we want to start these conversations. Sure. So I mentioned bedsider.org, and that's actually a partner project with the Power to Decide campaign, which is a campaign to prevent unplanned um, pregnancies and unintended pregnancies. And so both of those resources are excellent. There's also Advocates for Youth, which provides really good messaging about consent and sexual activity. There's um, the Reproductive Health Access Project, which gives a lot of resources for contraception, and then also um, sexuality education. It's S-E-I-C-U-S, SECUS, um, which provides a lot of good information on um, how to talk about sex and sexuality in a very healthy and evidence-based way. And then a lot of the resources are right in front of you. If you're in the car and something's on the radio and the message on that is concerning, don't turn the radio off or don't change the channel. I actually say... Do you hear this right here? Let's talk about why this is a problematic message, or let's talk about what this person is saying, because this person is saying it's okay to do this, and I want to be clear that that's, you know, non-consensual. Or if you're watching television, or you see something on the internet with your teenager, instead of changing the channel or turning it off or telling them they can't watch it, sit down with them, watch it, and then help them discuss what they saw and put a context to it, why this was unrealistic or, you know, it wasn't a good idea that this person drugged this this other character in this TV show and is now trying to do things with them. So make use your everyday resources as teachable moments. 
That's great advice. Absolutely great advice. And thank you so much, Dr. Grubb, for coming on and sharing your expertise with us and helping parents to sort through this very confusing and dizzying world of sexual health as we watch our children grow. We want them to grow and have a good self-esteem and a good sexual health aspect and outlook. Of course, we want that. So it all begins with us and how we teach them about their bodies and how we teach them about the things that are going to happen and the things that they can control. So thank you again for joining us. And parents, you know, this is great information. And that's why we're putting it out for you. These are the experts from the American Academy of Pediatrics, the gold standard in pediatricians. We love our pediatricians here at Radio MD. You can listen to this show on Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, Everywhere podcasts are played, but we want you to listen at RadioMD.com. So thank you so much. This is Melanie Cole for Healthy Children, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and Radio MD. Stay well.